Thank you for tuning in to the Life After GDPR podcast, where we discuss digital marketing in a post-GDPR world. I'm your host, Rick Dronkers, and in today's episode, I get to interview Aurelie Pols, a data protection officer with a background in digital analytics. We'll cover topics like the recent European rulings against Google Analytics, the potential impact those rulings might have with regards to cloud infrastructure, Google's reluctancy to react with any in-depth comments so far, the new approach of the European DPAs to focus on the user of the tool instead of the creator of the tool, the importance of interoperability between companies and the way they handle data requests, Aurelie's thoughts on consentless tracking and whether it's possible under the GDPR, and much more. Let's dive in. So yeah, what I, what I would like to ask you is, who are you and, and what is your path to becoming a data protection officer? Okay, so my name is Arlie Pols. I've been in the digital analytics field for at least 20 years, I think. Um, Web Trends Log Analyzer 6 landed on my desk before um, the last century. Uh, I've been one of the first Google Analytics consultants in Europe. Um, and then when we sold our startup, OX2 in Belgium, um, in 2008, I started looking at privacy and this thing called GDPR. Today, I serve as an external and independent data protection officer for a customer data platform called Mparticle out of New York. I have my own consultancy here based in Spain, Articles and Associates. Um, I also sit on the board of certain um, projects uh, and uh, universities like the European Center for Privacy and Cybersecurity out of Maastricht University and Horizon 2020 project Panofits that is almost going to close. Um, and that's about it. I am Dutch, I speak French natively, and I live in Spain. I think you are the, probably the most credentialed person to be talking about, uh, about this subject. I actually didn't know that, that, uh, that you were one of the first Google Analytics certified, uh, agencies in Europe. That's really cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you, you've been, you've been on both sides of, uh, of the aisle. Yes. And I still am. I stand yeah. as data protection officer for CDP, um, but also working, uh, for example, also for, um, the observatory of the platform economy for the European commission. Um, so looking at the legislations today that are on the table, because we talk a lot about GDPR and e-privacy, um, but there's more, uh, the data act, the data governance act, the digital services act, um, the data market act. Um, so there's more being built in terms of accountability with respect to personal data and making sure that we can actually use it, uh, to support the growth of our economies. Um, so we often get this idea that GDPR says you're not allowed to use data or actually the GDPR doesn't say that the GDPR says you are responsible for the data that you're going to use. And so yeah. you find a balance. Yeah. Well, that's definitely something that I think we're going to zoom in uh, on in this, uh, in this talk. So I want to start off with the hot topic of the last couple of weeks, uh, and that's the, the rulings by the the European uh, data protection authorities of, I think in the order of Austria, Germany, France, and now last week, Liechtenstein, and they are all related to Google analytics. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on that? Like what, what has been happening there? Maybe for, for the people listening who don't know, and, and what are your thoughts on those rulings? 
Yeah, so initially, um, <clears throat> it's a, the, the first ruling that came out were the Australi Austrians um, with respect to Google Analytics. And the other official ruling is the French, CNIL, that asked a supermarket to uh, remove uh, Google Analytics from their websites because um, of something called the Schrems 2 ruling that happened in July 2020, uh, brought about by somebody called Max Schrems who also uh, created a not-for-profit called Neub, none of your business. Um, and this Schrems 2 ruling is basically uh, the second one with respect to international data flows um, and the fact that um, there is clearly a problem with uh, fundamental rights uh, when data is, is um, moved to the United States as the rights that are um, uh, protected uh, the data subjects here in Europe are not the same in the United States. And therefore, when that data moves uh, to certain other countries, international data flows, um, if these rights are not protected, well, the, the, the judiciary power um, in Europe considers this to be unlawful. And so you might have heard about FISA and uh, surveillance capitalism and things like that. Uh, but it's basically about the fact that there's no checks and balances with respect to uh, collection of data by the authorities in the United States. And so this brings about issues with respect to a tool like Google Analytics, who doesn't propose localization um, in Europe. It all, it all goes to the United States. Mm -hmm. And so those fundamental rights are not respected. Um, so if I flatten that problem, then the, the issue is that because the data from a U EU citizen that is visiting a website where Google Analytics is, is present on that website, the data about that U EU visitor is being stored on a U.S. server and in the U.S. For instance, let's say the CIA, NSA, whichever kind of uh, government institution can subpoena Google to hand that data over. Yeah, so this is something we, we already knew uh, following the Snowden revelation um, and PRISM program, which is why this also uh, came about. Uh, first, the validation of Safe Harbor and then Privacy Shield. It's always about residents of the European Union, so it's important to... It, it sounds like a, a, a small distinction, but U.S. legislation, certainly when it comes to FISA, talks about citizenship. And so American citizens have more rights than us, and we are considered aliens under uh, U.S. legislation, which is a funny yeah. term. Um, but the idea in Europe is that we don't discriminate. Um, against any kind of nationality. So it's about the fact that you choose to live in Europe, you're a resident, mm -hmm. therefore you have rights. So even an American that lives in Paris has the same rights as us Dutch people living in, in the EEA. Um, and so that is indeed currently the angle of what's going on with Google Analytics. Um, there's another one that is actually being opened up is also this idea that um, Google Analytics serves a certain purpose. Um, and we both know that it, it, it should be about optimizing the digital experience. The big question is, is that data only used for that by Google? 
or is that actually mixed with other types of data? And this is where it's like a bigger Pandora's box um, with the principle of purpose limitation. And it's a big question. It's a question I've, I've asked as well a couple of years ago in a blog post. Um, as we all can't live without Google and we all have Google accounts. And this is also the reason why Google is um, subject to FISA is because they actually address consumers. They address data subjects because of these tools that we have. Um, the, 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 the big question therefore is, do they actually limit the purpose of the use of Google Analytics and how to prove this? I don't know, but it's a question that has been as well, but it's not part of these rulings for the moment. So with each of these rulings, they're basically singling out a, a point and, and they try to make progress on that. Is there a difference between the rulings of like Austria, France, uh, in Germany and, and, and Liechtenstein, are they taking different angles on Google Analytics or is it all basically the same issue that they're highlighting? Well, it, it was all pushed by, by Naurib, um, in Austria, where they filed 101 complaints, uh, against Google and Facebook. Um, and there was also, um, uh, a task force created, if I understand correctly at the European data protection board. Um, so we're talking here about Austria and France because there are clear rulings. So the French ruling is the supermarket, um, is asked to take off the tool, not use it anymore. Um, and if they do, they have to prove that the issue that was highlighted is not there anymore and they can't do it by themselves. They need help. Um, it also means that inside the EDPB European Data Protection Board, there's a task force. So we've seen indeed these two rulings. We've seen a notification by Liechtenstein. Um, I really liked, um, Guernsey's notification. They actually also have a supervisory authority, um, who said, we reviewed what we are using Analytics for, and we have decided to take it off. Um, the Dutch also said that soon, um, it might be illegal. So they're still under investigation. Um, so we're, we're kind of collecting currently the positions. Um, but again, the angle is really about the fact that, um, Google falls under FISA and Google Analytics is part of Google. Um, and so it's, it's currently about international data transfers and everything's kind of going in the same direction. Yeah. And then if, if I look at this from a technical angle, my initial reaction would be. Okay. I know that the Google cloud platform has, has servers in Europe. Couldn't they just create like a Google analytics Europe and just store the data there. And then it's, and then it's all fine. Would that like, would that solve the, the complaint that is against them now? So the question also is why, why haven't they, uh, for the moment, there's just two notifications by Google. They're not even one pager. Uh, it's a bit light. Um. And <clears throat> I think there's been discussions about this as well. Google being a US based company, um, it's not only, um, the data going one way and these fundamental rights not being respected. It's potentially also US legislation under the cloud act where basically, uh, surveillance, um, agencies might ask data from Google, even if it's outside, um, of the US. So this, this kind of complicates matter a bit more. Um, there have been a couple of initiatives like, um, 
let's put a server in Europe and send all your tags there and then send it to Google Analytics and, and process it. So there's, there's possibilities to do things differently. Um, the thing is we're, we're all actors inside a data ecosystem and well, one actor, uh, which is Google is kind of in denial for the moment, or I'm not quite sure. So the cloud act would basically mean that any company that has a headquarter in the U S would not perhaps not even be able to store the data in the EU because the, the problem would persist anyway, like because their headquarter is in the U S they have to oblige with the government in the U S and that would break the, the logic of the GDPR and data storage in that sense. Yeah. I, I'm not sure it's that clear cut. I think, um, the cloud act still is based upon, um, international treaties. Um, so it would go through procedures that are recognized to actually get the data there. Um, you might rem remember also, um, there was a discussion about a court in New York that wanted data uh, from Microsoft in Ireland, like three years ago, and they kind of pushed back. And so th there are, there are companies like Microsoft who are taking a stance and say, well, if, if an agency in the U S or a court wants, um, data from us, um, they have to go through the procedures and the procedures that have been accepted between, uh, the EEA and, and, and the U S. Um, well, I, I don't think it's, it's that simple and the thing is, it's also pretty complicated and a bit opaque and you need to understand how this works one side and the other side and things like that. Um, but I, as far as I know, I haven't heard Google take a stance against these requests. Um, so the other, the other week I was looking at 23andMe, uh, because somebody shared it on, on the Slack measure as well. And they actually, they have a guide for uh, authorities who want their data. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, they're going to say no, um, but they have thought about it. They have tackled it. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying Google didn't, they have their transparency reports and things like that, but it's just a feeling that they're a bit like, you know, hands off on all the things. It's a bit light and, and well, something I learned from the European data protection supervisor many years ago is, um, they, they used to, to use this phrase. It's, uh. With great power comes uh, great responsibility. Um, and I see it with certain actors, even smaller actors. Um, I, I probably am missing it with Google. Yeah, but perhaps they're waiting to make their plan or to see what the outcomes will be of certain, uh, certain rulings. But I agree with you for, up until now, it has been fairly thin their, their response. So, so the supermarket in, in France, I think that's an interesting point you, you mentioned. The, the French DPA required them or insisted that they take Google Analytics off. And if they do not, they have to explain how they are taking care of basically doing it in a GDPR compliant way, right? Yep. So do you think this might actually be an interesting case where perhaps Google or like a, a Google partner agency pushed by Google would try to make the most GDPR compliant implementation of Google analytics, like make this a, uh, a case where, where it can be figured out because the feeling I have up, up until now is we're looking for these rulings to, to tell us which, you know, which way we have to go. 
And if nobody takes the effort to make Google Analytics the most privacy safe implementation as possible, then we might never know. Yeah, I mean, the, the way legislation works, so, so Kniel sends the information um, to that party um, and there's like a, a 10 pager about the ruling. Um, it's pretty well done. It's really nicely written. Um, and um, I extrapolated that it's a supermarket because basically I took the one in uh, 101 uh, complaints by Neub. I took a look at who, who it was for France and you hear left, right, and in the middle, it's this kind of company. And so you come to the conclusion, it's that company. Um, uh, so, so the way legislation works is that, um, typically, uh, a supervisor authority gets a complaint. So these noise complaints, they investigate. Um, and then the company has the pos possibility to, to answer these questions and things like that. Um, I always joke about the fact that I read the, the telenovelas from the Agencia de Protección de los Datos, because sometimes they publish like 60 pages of, and then we ask this and they answer that and we think this and the legal perspective is that and things like that. So it makes for a good read. Um, we are not, Europe is not the same type of of legislative framework as the United States. Um, an agency is not going to, to knock on your door and say, here's a fine for 20 million euros. They're going to say, this is what we think. This is, and, and you can read that in the 10 pages by CNIL. Now it's up to the supermarket to say, okay, what do we do? Um, is it easier to rip it out? And God knows that ripping out Google Analytics is not easy, I've been through it. Um, but um, are we, are they going to rip it out or are they going to fight? Um, and this is, this is what we've seen certainly since the enforcement of the GDPR. Um, I call it lawyering up every time I know, um, Facebook gets a fine for 225 million from WhatsApp, uh, in, uh, for WhatsApp in Ireland. Well, basically what they did is. They went against the European Data Protection Board in front of the European, European Court of Justice. So a lot of privacy lawyers have joined big, big tech to actually go against these rulings. Uh, the question is here, it's not, it's not a ruling against Google Analytics in France. It's a ruling against a supermarket. So what does the supermarket want to do and what is their risk appetite? The main question. It's not, yeah, it's not against Google Analytics. It's, it's, it's against 101 entities that are going to get rulings and that will have to decide what their choices is going to be. Is Google Analytics worth fighting for? Yes. Yeah. Well, well that, that's a really interesting thing because, but because I can imagine for a lot of companies, they're going to evaluate this risk. And they will be looking at, at, at alternatives that, that, that may have like a stamp of, this is a tool built in Europe, built for GDPR. And they will be like, well, <laughs> maybe it's better to, to switch, right? Maybe we don't want to pick this fight. And it's yeah. also interesting that, that they take this strategy because it also puts pressure on Google because if, if European companies will be scared that they, you know, that they will be picked out for this and not Google that might influence uh, their decision-making model for, for what analytics tool to choose. 
Yeah, certainly for companies. So, so on the one hand side, I think Neil has been really smart is that the year before, um, they went through some form of a certification mechanism, uh, for web audience measurement tools, uh, to decide which one could be exempted from consent. So there's an entire list on Kniel of all potential alternatives. And, and you mentioned a couple, um, Matomo is certainly one of the, the initial ones together with the AT internet in France. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of an inter interesting perspective. Another one that I'd like to bring to the table also is what is Google analytics worth for Google? Do they care? And talking to certain people in Austria who are bringing forward also potential solution in terms of having servers in Europe, they reminded me that when they worked for Google, Google Analytics was like, nobody cared. It was an easy tool. You just copy paste um, the tag, our, our favorite vanilla tagging, easy to set up. There you go. And there you went. And, and Google Analytics is a free tool. It's only recently that it's been part of something that's paying. Um, so does Google actually care? I don't know. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Or is this just collateral damage for them because they integrated Google Analytics data being collected with other types of tools and they, for purpose limitations, they need to start separating it. I, I don't know. Yeah. Now the, the question I have also, um, as I've witnessed evolution from web trend six log analyzer flash websites and the, a very, very long time ago, um, but, but I do remember, I mean, Omniture got acquired by Adobe, uh, web, website, website story we had at some point, um, Yahoo bought index tools, which was another free tool. Microsoft had Gatineau on the works. Um, one question I have also is when Google analytics, um, started, it was the acquisition of Urchin back in the time, uh, many, many years ago. Um, and the, 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 the differentiation of Google analytics was that they were seemingly integrated with AdWords. You didn't have to do anything. It's just, you clicked on a button in the setting somewhere and it worked. And with web trends, you had to use the parameters and things like that. And so this is basically where slowly but surely all these tools lost their market share. Um, and this is how we come today to Google Analytics being clearly the leader um, when it comes to audience measurement. And my question is, was this lawful? Is that not anti-competitive behavior? Basically you were financing, um, this, the spread of this tool through, through, uh, digital advertising. Yeah, we're, we're not there yet. It's just that definitely that is one of the main reasons why a lot of, why a lot of advertisers choose Google analytics, right. For the easy integration. And I even see it now, like we are for a lot of clients, they are moving towards a uh, data warehousing, uh, and then they have to choose where do I build my data warehouse. And if they are big advertisers and, and a lot of their data warehouse will be about advertising data. Then often Google cloud platform will be chosen because the direct export from Google ads into Google BigQuery is really easy and works flawlessly, which of course it is logical that your own products work well together, but it is also 
of course, it feeds the other product, the growth of the other product. So that that's definitely something that that is going on. Like I'm I'm not an expert on whether that will be lawful or not, but it's definitely a dynamic that that you see going on. Yeah. Well, it's it's something that's that's often discussed in light of the GDPR is this idea of interoperability. Um, the fact that seamlessly seamlessly uh, tools work together. Um, and, and this is indeed in, in the Google ecosystem, it's, it's their advantage, interoperability. Um, I see it's more of an issue when, um, certain companies grow through acquisitions, for example, making their tools interoperable is, 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 is a conundrum. It's really a, a complex thing. It also means the fact that you're so, um, embedded inside this, this ecosystem um, there's, there's a, a danger of lock-in and that's basically once a marketeer decides to go for certain tools and it's so easy to, to, to work together and it's so integrated, well, then starting to think ripping it out and, and moving to something else is, is going to be a, an issue as well. And this is really what we're, mar we're, we're, we're missing when we talk about, um, digital data is some form of a standards or, or, uh, more than just codes of conduct brought about by certain associations, but, but making sure that, that these data flows are interoperable. And I see every day, certainly with, with M particle as, as a CDP, um, I joined them because we have this, uh, collaborative effort called open DSR, open data subject requests. Um, and where basically what we do is we get data subject requests from our customers that we push through towards our partners or the data warehousing warehouses they're, they're using. Depending on how interoperable this is, we can support our customers' compliance obligations at different levels. So if, for example, I get a DSAR request and my customer says, oh, I have this data warehouse. Can you push it through? It's like, no problem. We'll push it through. We get an acknowledgement of the reception, but also of the deletion. And we send it all back to the customer to say, hey, here's your data to, to show the data subject that you've done what they asked for. When you have a partner, another company, Cochava, Raise, Amplitude, they work in different ways. So what we can do is we can push the DSRs. They can say, we got it. But as they are so different, we can't standardize the way we receive confirmations. <clears throat> and so this makes it very complicated for, for customers because they have to go back to the partner to get the confirmations as well. This lack of interoperability is really, really the problem that needs to be fixed, but there's no incentive in the markets. So basically, I think the only incentive right now is the stick, but there's no carrot, right? The, 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 there's only a, a, a potential fine in the future when we don't solve this, but the, right now there's not really anything that incentivizes us to create this. Mm -hmm. so, exactly. we, so basically what you're saying is we would need like a standard, like just like uh, TCP IP is a standard for the internet. We would need like a standard of how to handle data across all companies so that we can interoperate and make sure that when a request gets sent to company A about this user, then we would need to also be able to inform company B to take that same action. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. And that would support compliance obligations by, by customers, by actors um, who use digital to support um, their business model. The same is, the same is true for e-privacy and these, these infamous cookie banners. Um, because what you have is you have these consent management platforms, like this little thing on top and you say yes and you say no. But um, I imagine you've been like me through these, these, um, these projects where you scan all the cookies and you see how, how, what their duration is. I found one last week, it was like until 2042 or something. Um, and then you have to classify these, these tools. And the classification of these tools is a bit sometimes, um, how should I say, unclear. In which category do you put certain of these tools? Are these like uh, advertising? Are these functional? Are these I don't know, uh, things like that? And the only basis you have for this classification is either you go through a manu manual search and you start thinking about what that tool does, or there's like Cookiepedia or things like that, that, that feed into OneTrust. But who classifies this? Who decides that that's who does that? And what happens if that tool rolls out a new functionality? Exactly. Yeah. Or, or for so instance, with Google Analytics, you could set it up to, to have all advertising features disabled, or it could have everything enabled, but it's the same tool. It's the same script. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. how, how far can you go and who has an incentive to be some form of an observatory for that? and be kind of a policeman, there is none. There is none, it doesn't exist. So how can, can all this be, be enforced? Well, through exchanges of information and supervisory authorities asking questions and company answering, and then going back to their tool vendor to ask for more information and things like that. It's not really optimized. When you think about it, it's, 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 it's terrible. It's terrible. Regardless of, of which path we take, there, there's a long road ahead of us, like either en enforcing all of this or and building, you know, building the, the infrastructure to, to actually be compliant, all right, to, to, to be compliant in a, in a scalable way. Yeah. Yeah. But that infrastructure can be the technical infrastructure we, we define as private companies, as, as agencies, as consultants. But that infrastructure could also be a public infrastructure where in Brussels, they decide that an observatory of cookies is maybe a good idea and they fund it. And the supervisory authorities get together. So, so it's funny because we always, we always talk about technical infrastructure, but there's also legal infrastructure when you think about it, enforcement infrastructure. Um, and this is where, where the challenge lies is we need to build both. Um, because the GDPR brought about an infrastructure of collaboration, the one-stop shop, where all these supervisory authorities get together and sit around the table at the European Data Protection Board. So it's, it's not just infrastructure, you see, from a technical perspective, but it's really about this collaboration between the two. So I'm just thinking after, after what we just discussed on the rulings about Google Analytics and how, how that might impact the future. This is of course broader than Google Analytics. I think if you, if you look at this uh, from a theoretical point of view, this applies to a lot of US-based tech companies that also serve clients in the EU. 
right now? If they address consumers, so that's the very specific point. So it's, it's, it's clear that NOIB is going after international data transfers um, because of Schrems and Max Schrems and the rulings and the invalidation of um, Privacy Shield and Safe Harbor before that. Um, so the, it's, it's a very specific. So if a tool is not, doesn't address consumer directly, if a tool is B2B, they are not by default subject to FISA. Uh, okay, so the argument is because because Google on one end of the spectrum has Gmail and Google Maps and YouTube and, and, and whatever else, and Facebook, of course, on their end have all these consumer-facing things, and then they also both have an advertising and analytics product. Yes. That is because of this collection of services under one umbrella, that is that is the main issue yes. uh, from, the, from their perspective. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. And so, then the challenge for the vendors are to, how do you prove you're not subject to FISA? So one argument is we don't address consumers. We are, we are a B2B company. Um, there's also more and more companies who are starting to roll out transparency reports. Um, and it's, it's a funny one because basically it's, it's zero transparency reports. We did not get any requests, hence we are not subject to FISA. Mm. So it could change once they get the first one. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, it's part of these conversations with the lawyer, certainly in the US, we want to publish this because if it changes, then what do we do? We still publish. <laughs> like I'm thinking one step further, because a lot of the tools that we use, like we used to work a lot with, with on-premise servers for, for whatever, uh, whatever web service we use, but by now, most of the companies, especially startups, they all start on either AWS or Google cloud platform or Microsoft Azure, because yeah, why would you, why would you invest in all these servers and maintain them yourself when you can get all this technology to start at a higher level and also be able to scale. Yep. So I think the logic behind that is, is clear to everybody and the business model has proven itself like most developers seem to love it, but I think Amazon is also, it has the same issue, I would say as, as Google in this case, because they are also subject to, to FISA. So there's Amazon web services. I think for Microsoft Azure, it's the same. And I think for Google cloud platform, it's the same. So the three major cloud platforms you could argue are also going to be in, to going to experience problems from this because they all have their headquarters in the United States. So that's, that would mean like a significant issue to solve, right? For, for the internet, because I've, I'm not even aware of any European, uh, competitors of them. Yeah. So, so this is, this is where, um, there's this balance. You're not going to shoot yourself in the foot and say, well, let's, let's forget all, all cloud platforms because because they're GDP, they're not GDPR compliant God knows what. Um, so um, following the rulings, I, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but about a week later or 10 days later, um, the EDPB said that they were going to look uh, closer into the cloud platform environments, well, which is good. Um, so so it's, it's, it's always like, you know, it's, it's like a bulldozer advancing. Um, and for the moment, when, when it came to cloud, um, in my mind, I have my classification, um, which I use when I, I sort fight with the CTOs, 
Um, and so uh, when I have a CTO who is looking too closely at Google, I remind them that this and this and this and, this, and that my preference goes to Azure. Um, also because um, Microsoft has always taken a stance. Um, and uh, as I as we talk, uh, we I talked about this like a couple of years ago in Ireland, Discord that asked for. And when you look at the blogging of of Microsoft, it's a lot about this. It's a lot about collaboration and making sure that um, their tools are vetted. Um, the people who sit certainly um, at at companies like like Microsoft or or even IBM um, are people who have a background. Um, in enforcement when it comes to privacy. So somebody like Julie Brill uh, came from the FTC, joined um, Microsoft in the end. Um, Brad Smith and Microsoft as well. They're very, very aware of what's going on and they're part of the conversations in Brussels. When you sit down, you have Microsoft on the left and IBM on the right and Maybe Google is invited on Facebook and they talk, but they don't sit down. They don't sit down and have a, have a conversation. Um, so um, cloud platforms are going to be reviewed. Um, there's also um, the CSA is like this association that has been pushing for standards and best practices, certainly for security. So we're not starting from scratch, but I think there is certainly a desire to, to make it better. Um, there's also money being poured into creation of cloud infrastructures in Europe. Unfortunately, we're slow, um, but more and more money has been poured. I mean, if you look at, for example, Horizon 2020 projects, and I've been part of a couple of ethical reviews and privacy reviews for them, they're really fascinating. And, and how much money is in there to actually push, and now it's called Horizon Europe, to push technical innovation, um, it's it's a lot better than five years ago. Um, so so it it kind of it it goes together, and we're all trying to find this this right balance. But if a startup, um, you know, you're bootstrapping, you don't have a lot of budgets, you use the tools that you have, you go through basic privacy reviews. It's getting better, also there. You know, so stuff I saw like five years ago, it's like. A company, I think uh, last week or two weeks ago for MParticle, they were like, we're storing the data forever. Why? And we were like, well, we're not signing with you. <laughs> you need data retention periods. It's like, come back when you have them. Um, but I, I, yeah, a startup uses the tools and does the best privacy review they can. And as they mature, the tech stack that they choose will have consequences um, certainly for the future. Um, and so they need to think about it. Um, and so when I have a CTO who says, listen, Arlie, we've been rolling on, on AWS uh, for the last three years and everything's in S3 buckets and God knows what and access management, I'm not going to tell him, no, uh, no good, uh, you need, you need what, something else. I, I did try to convince about Azure, um, but the thing is I also got back pricing, support, um, so it's, it's about this balance, who choose this tech stack because X, Y, and Z, and you put all this on the table and certainly as a data protection officer, and you say, my recommendation is this, then it's up to the board to make the decision. They know the risk, they know the problems, 
they might not see it in the same way as, as me, little European person, but at least they know what they're facing. And that is, I think, the role of a data protection officer is to say, this is what we think. Now, up to you, take a decision. And do you feel like um, th their understanding of what they are facing is that it's growing? Like, is it, is it an uptrend of, of people realizing to, to take privacy seriously? I think so. I think it's, it's, <laughs> I haven't been here in, in for, 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 for 15 years. So I, I couldn't say compared to 15 years ago, but certainly since the enforcement of the GDPR and we're now in 2022, um, you know, when, when, when I have somebody from the team who, who comes with a tool. Um, and we go through a basic privacy review and we say, well, there's no data retention period. We don't know how long they're going to keep the data. That person goes, oh, okay, I'll find another tool. Well, in 2018, we had to explain what this meant and it wasn't possible. And it was like, yeah, but the others, they do it. And, uh, so, uh, so, and I, I, I see also companies certainly more vendors, more open to this, um. I remember, uh, even three years ago, we came also to a vendor and we said, well, you know, we think your data retention periods of five years is a bit long. And they asked us, what do you want? And we said, well, we want 13 months. This said, where, why 13 months? And I said, well, because it's French legislation. And I said, well, send us the legislation and we'll submit it. And a month later, we were at 13 months. So it's possible. It's, it's really possible, but. Defining um, these privacy stances in clear and concrete recommendations for engineering, that's the hard part. That's really difficult. And it, it, it only works when you have this collaboration um, between the people who are responsible for privacy and not only the contracts. And I think this is, this is often the problem is, is I speak to product teams on a, on a weekly basis. And I come with ideas to say, I think we should do this and we should do that. And then we prioritize. Um, but we depend first of all, on their understanding and the engineering resources needed. Um, and then also on what our customers ask and how they interpret their obligations. Sometimes we don't align, but if they push through certain things because they say so, and if there's a big envelope, you do it as well. So it's, it's really about holding hands between your customers, your vendors, looking at legislation and collaborating. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, there's a lot of work to be done in that, I think. Yeah, and it's I, I also think that, that the, maybe the potential lawsuits that, that are like, that might happen with the supermarket in France, like that, that might also push things forward, but because it do does create a lot of clarity for people where for a lot of people, that's maybe the one little push they need in order to put this higher on the agenda. So if we switch gears a little bit, so looking at digital marketing, you know, you, you, you have a background in digital marketing before, before you, uh, you switched over to, to, uh, focusing fully side. on privacy yeah, to the dark side of, uh, of, of this battle. But so you know, that as a digital marketer, you want to, you want to measure the user behavior, the user journey in order to optimize the, the experience and usually optimizing the experience goes hand in hand with, with profit, of course. So that's how it aligns with, with the business. But if we think about measuring the user experience in 
the world of today where we have multiple devices and most user experience go across multiple sessions, we would need user tracking and user tracking is kind of what is under fire, both from like a, a, a technological perspective and on the other side with, um, requiring consent for user tracking from like a legislative perspective. First of all, do you agree with the setting that I give? And then second of all, like, how do you see the, the future of user tracking in, yeah, in, in this post GDPR world? Yeah, I, I, I would rephrase by saying, um, what, what has to disappear is unlawful tracking. And so, um, there, there's a huge, huge focus on this idea of consent all the time. Um, and if, for example, um, my, my telco operator needs to send me an invoice, they need my data. Um, and so that's not based on consent. That's based on contract. Um, so there, there is a very big discrepancy due to the fact that, that the United States is so predominant in the, the digital conversation is the fact that it's all focused on this idea of consent. It's all focused on this idea of, um, uh, choice, but that is pushed towards the consumer as they call it, the data subject. So notice and choice is this privacy logic in Anglo-Saxon countries, um, because Australia is the same and there's a couple of other countries like this. Um, Europe is based on this idea of lawful basis and the fact that um, you have six bases to lawfully um, process data. Um, so I, I'm fine if you track, track me uh, for something I have asked for and within the purpose of that logic. Um, I, I see also this push for personalization um, a lot and I'm still trying to find a good use case for personalization. I use Amazon. I've never had a recommendation I actually care about, uh, which is amazing when you think about it. It's like, you know, I understand I'm an outlier, but still, you know, you're one of the biggest platforms in the world. You could at least get it right from time to time, but apparently not. Um, and, and I think we, we should switch our, our minds in, in two ways. The first one is there's more than just consent. So let's, let's have a conversation about that. What does it mean to lawfully process data? And the second one is how are we going to use data to prove we are doing the right thing? So we might kind of, you, you have a choice. Either you, you, you freak out and you say, oh, privacy is not going to allow us to do anything with the data anymore. And all the engineers are going to be out of work and we'll maybe, you know, try to make more grain because we might run out at some point because of Ukraine. Or you can say, I want to use automated decision-making and as part of this process to optimize, I'm also going to think about transparency and how I'm going to be able to push that to the users so that they understand what's going on or at least support um, um, companies be more transparent with the data that they're using. Um, so I, I, and this is also, for example, what the data act is about, um, that the European commission published not very long ago, there is data 
is going to be the basis of growth. We all know it. Um, there's also a joke, a running joke in Brussels where um, they say that all data is personal data. So, you know, GDPR applies everywhere. Um, but joke aside, use the data to show your compliance, but make sure that you are allowed to use that data. It shouldn't be creepy. It shouldn't be intrusive. Because the thing is, if it is, what the GDPR allows is for people to complain to the supervising authorities. And these complaints, as we saw with Noib, at some point, something happens and change is brought about. Okay. I, f I follow you on that. So let's say we ask for consent, like we, we, we can track. Um, is there also room for tools that track without, without turning it into personal data? Is there website behavior data that would not fall under the GDPR? Like, is there a way to, to store it and to use it in your opinion that is allowed without having consent? Yeah. So, so I just, I am, I'm, I'm talking to, to a company that I want to add to my list of customers who is also telling me that their data is anonymous. And, um, if you consider your data to be anonymous, you have to prove that your data is anonymous. Um, so it's, it's something I've seen in, in the, um, at measure Slack as well as this, these conversations about cookies, not being personal data. Um, and so it's, it's a choice. Do you want to go there and say, this data is not personal data fine by me? Um, but then how do you prove it? Because there's, there's this principle that was added to the GDPR, which is the accountability principle. And it's, it works a bit the other way around from the legislation we know. Um, legislation is always about, um, you're innocent until proven guilty. When it comes to processing data, it's, it's the opposite. So you are guilty unless you can prove that it is anonymous data. Um, so do you want to spend time doing that? Is that an optimized way of using your resources, be it legal or engineering? Or do you want to say, well, no, I prefer to go towards the less risky side, which is, I think it's personal data. And so if it's personal data, these are my obligations. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it's sense. No choice. And then proving it could be something like you have an external audit of where you store that data. And then you show that in a public transport in, in a way on your website, somehow this, this is how we store the data. Yeah. So, so it's about. Um, it could, can be about localization. It can be about access management. It can be about data retention. It can be about data destruction. It can be about cryptographic, whatever you want, hashing doorheads, you know, eat your heart out, go for it. Uh, but you'll have to submit that to somebody who has to review and decide whether yes or no, they agree. And so in, in, in the case of this conversation where it was like, yes, but cookies are not personal data. It depends what you put in the cookies and things like that. I was like, guys, cookies is referenced in rest of 30 of the GDPR. So if you want to, um, justify that these cookies are, are not personal data, I think it's an uphill battle because it's there. 
it's it's inside the law. It's like stating that IP addresses are not personal data. I get it. I get it. Dynamic IP addresses, the probability that you identify somebody is very small. But there's been rulings about this. The Briar case is there. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. Denial is a waste of resources. We need to optimize. There's a lot to be done uh, on, on that front. But uh, yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see how how tools will also provide us with the ability to measure in both ways. It would be interesting if, if an analytics tool would have the option, like, do you want to measure fully anonymously, right? Cookie-less, like, and, and make it transparent as well that you are measuring without identifiers and that you basically have within the same tool, two options. That is definitely something I would see that that, that, that would exist with, in combination with the, with the nice consent management platform. I think there's... That is something that could be developed, but that's currently not existing as far as I know. I think it does. I mean, I, I was um, on the website of, um, I think it was the EDPB this morning, European Data Protection Board, and you can decline cookies or agree for aggregated statistics. I think in theory, it definitely, you could build it, but I'm not sure if there's already a software as a service tool who would offer that like as an option. I think that will be a nice way forward if... If people could decide like, Hey, I only want to measure in aggregate, or I want to measure this user specifically based on what they agree on within the, the consent management platform. Yeah. The, the thing is it, 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 it's, is it really up to the tool? Um, because this, this gets, gets us back to Google analytics where they say, but we truncate IP addresses. So we have this functionality and you're like, yeah, but. You have this functionality once the data arrives in your facility, which is in the US, it's too late. You have to do this before. Um, so what is, what is the role of the vendor and which are the functionalities that they need? And might there be data preparation on the side of um, the, the customer? And might there be a third party in between is yeah, I think there has to be, I think there has to be like, I think the nature of the internet that within service A and service B, there will always be a request from the IP address. So like, if you do not have a service in between that's, that obfuscates everything that is going from A to B, then by default, they will always have the IP address. So that is something that there's a solution for it, but yeah. I, I get it that Google can only mask the IP address on their end because yeah, the, the request is, has to be sent to the Google server. So they get the IP address, whether they want to or not. Yeah. That's an interesting thing that, uh, yeah, yeah that will be uh, good to watch. Yeah. And the, the thing is there's, there's also, you know, certain subtleties in, in, in privacy legislation. Um, when we talk about IP addresses being personal data and, and, and being required for the internet to work because CDNs work like that and, and we know it. Um, but processing operations are not always at scale or systematic. Sometimes you have stuff that happens or you're troubleshooting or things like that. And you need to send some information. And I see that a lot with our customers. They're like, oh, that we can't do that because blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, how often are you going to do that? If you have an issue, if we need to troubleshoot and we're based in the US and you send it once to us, 
it's not the same thing as having like a constant feed of data that's moving from the EA to, to the US. And so there are these little subtleties inside certainly the GDPR, but, but all privacy legislation that, that people need to take a look at in the context of what's going on to try to solve for the risk of these, these, these data processing operations. And this is kind of what's often missing. Um, do I want to um, uh, measure at scale uh, down to the meter where you are or like the 200 meters where you are to see if you're addressing my, my website and using my services or can I do with a bit less? And this, this pendulum, you know, we've been, we've been fed on there's data, let's collect everything can and, and, you know, optimize and things like that, um, it has to go back and we have to ask the question to say, is it worth it? Isn't there a potentiality of harm? And until now it's like harm, what are you talking about harm? So it's, it's, so it's really about this. And this is how I see the engineers starting to think because they're trained in privacy and we talk about it and we share examples and things like that. Or they're like, hmm, I would need this to solve my issue. And this is what we need to think about as well today is what do we need to solve for which problem? And when you think about it, this was digital analytics 20 years ago. Yes, definitely. But, but it's, I think it, uh, this is the, the issue that for a lot of companies, they feel that data is important or is going to, going to be important, but they do not either have the resources or invest the time at the moment to think it through any further. So their default will be, let's track everything and then we'll figure it out later. And, and that has worked for a while, like for a while it was like, okay, we, we just track it all. And then once we get a bit more mature, we get somebody in who is going to look at it and sift that, sift through like what's worth it. And yeah, there, there was no fine. There was no downside to it because there was no, there was no GDPR. So. And I think this is currently what is changing. And I've, I think it's a good thing because to be honest, it's way, it's way cheaper to think before you start collecting and collect the right things, because it's super expensive to after the fact, figure out what you need to get out of the data and redo all of it and, and transform it all. Like it's usually figuring it out beforehand is not, it's not as daunting as you think. And, and yeah, it's also required now for privacy. So I think that's a win-win uh, from, from both situations. Yeah, I think we inherited from business intelligence and data warehousing before the internet era of this idea of, oh, if we have to add another field, it's going to be really complicated. And so from there, it was like, well, let's collect everything we can and, and we'll, see, we'll see later. And big data, I don't like the term, but has brought about, yeah, frictionless data collection. So let's, let's lose this idea of, oh, we need to collect everything because, or else it's like, we need to go through change requests. Um, but let's, let's replace this with data minimization and, and purpose specification. What do I need for, for what, uh, what am I trying to solve for? Um, and from there, you, you already have like a very good basis to be privacy as compliant as possible. 
you don't need to get, you know, your lawyers and your DPO in if you start trusting your engineers. And and this is what I see also at Empartico. It's like they call me in when they do new funky stuff. And you you were all like, okay, who's the data processor? Who's the data controller? Who does what? What does do the contract say? And things like that. And, and we walk through it all together. Uh, and it's like, oh, we need the security guys to make sure it's encrypted uh, and things like that. But if you already have the basis and you can already trust the person to do the right thing, it's just a pleasure to collaborate. It's just, it just works and you solve stuff and it's less frustrating and you're not scared. Let's hope in a, in a couple of years, all companies will be there. So it was a really, really great talk. I, for me, it cleared up a lot of things, especially about how to, how to look at, uh, what's going on right now with, with the rulings and how to put that in the perspective of, of, of what's, what's to come and how to interpret which tools are impacted and which aren't. If you could give like your recommendations to, to digital marketers, marketing managers listening to this and they're like, okay, we like, we, we don't have anything, right? We're, we're, we're not GDPR compliant and we, we know it. Um, but we need to start because we've been ignoring this for too long. Like where, where do you start? Do you start with an audit? Do you start with like, what are the, what are the steps that you see companies take that want to, want to take this seriously? Um, well, if, if we're talking specifically about cookie banners, um, and what you're using on your digital properties. Um, so you start with listing your digital properties, then you start crawling your digital properties to see what kind of. JavaScript from 15 years ago, you have a lot. Uh, then you get somebody, uh, at the table who has decision power and say, okay, what do we keep? Uh, and then you usually it's like 60% is out. Um, then you find the person responsible for, um, the actual digital properties and who can get to the JavaScript and the code and start cleaning up. Then you go after the data protection agreements of these tools and make sure they're as compliant as possible. If they don't, then you have to take them out as well, or you have to make the decision. Um, then you start tweaking these tools to make sure that access is limited and things like that. Um, and then you build your cookie policy on top of your consent management platform. So it sounds easy. It takes a long time. Yes. Especially uh -huh. finding the right people. <laughs> yes. Who is responsible for this tool or that tool? Yes. Um, so at Embartico, we have somebody who's, who just supports marketing. Um, I, I sometimes calling in the marketing privacy nanny, um, because it's needed. Um, oh, and, and one of the steps also is when marketing wants to add another tool, there's a process. For them to request that it goes for privacy and security uh, review and once approved and procurement and once approved, it can be added to the website. Um, so that's just, that's just the cookie thing. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's a good place to start for a lot of people. And uh, I think for a lot of the intended audience of this, of this podcast, I think there will be an actionable list to take. So thank you for that. Is there anything else you want to share your. Where can people follow you online? Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter. So my name is already Paul. So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I left Facebook when they announced that. Um, and, uh, I'm always happy to support and help. And there are no stupid questions and we all learn together. Um, so, and I would like to say thank you 
for those who set up the ad measure Slack channel and for still uh, allowing me to speak there and um, exchange certain thoughts. And uh, I look forward to also collaborating with other people who are starting to think about the privacy equation. Um, because as I said, I think it's a collaborative effort and uh, there's never enough people around the table. Definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to, like you mentioned, a couple of documents by the CNIL and uh, we'll also link to Measure Slack in the description of the podcast so people can, uh, cannot find all those resources. Um, and then I want to thank you for your time. Thank you. It was lovely to speak Dutch at the beginning as well. Nog op gedacht verder?